Ladies and gentlemen, if you will please take your seats, we will begin. You know when the room is buzzing like this, we're seeing a lot of colleagues and catching up, so I take that as a very good sign. Let me begin by saying a hearty good morning and welcome to the Center for Strategic and International Studies. My name is Heather Conley. I'm Senior Vice President here at CSIS, uh, and I direct our Europe, Eurasia, and of course our Arctic research here. We are so delighted to be in partnership with the Center for International Governance and Innovation for today's conference uh, on the Arctic Council. But before I begin, I have to make one very important clarification for my Canadian guests. We are the other CSIS because in Canada, CSIS stands for the Canadian Security Intelligence Services. And the first time I went to Ottawa to lecture on the Arctic and I introduced myself as Heather Conley from CSIS, oh, I got this look and I'm like, ooh, what did, did something happen that we did until they clarified that for me? I'm sure some of you did a double take on the invitation, but we are delighted that you are here. I have to also confess to you uh, that I have been looking forward to this discussion for a very long time. We have an incredible list of speakers for you today, and as I, as I mentioned, looking around this room, I see so many friends, so many colleagues who've made me so smart, or at least trying to get smart on the Arctic, and I couldn't be more grateful that they uh, are taking time out of very busy schedules and traveling very long distances to be with us today. You know, five years ago, we held our first Arctic conference uh, at CSIS, not in this beautiful building, but in our, our old building. And I would say about maybe 80 people came and we thought, wow, this is a great turnout. We've had almost 200 RSVPs for this. We have an incredible audience uh, that's watching this internationally by live streaming. So I think this is a really encouraging sign that the Arctic at last is finding its place on the American foreign policy agenda. And I just, uh, as a note, I am so pleased we have such an incredibly strong delegation from Alaska. Many times we don't hear those strong Alaskan voices here in Washington, and I'm so pleased we, we have that aspect to the conference. So while I'm confessing to you, I have two other confessions to make. About six months ago, there were several of us in this room that were thinking, as the Canadian government was contemplating its uh, Arctic Council agenda, that maybe we could have a conversation, maybe think about a North American Arctic Council chairmanship as our Nordic colleagues had been uh, using their successive chairmanships to develop a longer-term agenda. We couldn't quite pull that off, so I consider today about the best way we're going to have a truly North American conversation about the Arctic and the Arctic Council. And then I have my last confession to make. This entire idea uh, many months ago was hatched over a cup of coffee in a restaurant a few blocks from the State Department with my good friend John Higginbottom and a colleague from the State Department. Um, so strange ideas over a cup of coffee can materialize into very exciting projects. Just a, a quick note, John has been an intellectual driver behind this conference. I think we have managed to depopulate Canada to 
today of its most knowledgeable Arctic experts. I'm so glad, but please safely travel home. We need you to <laughs> continue to develop great Canadian policy towards the Arctic. And so I just want to offer a very special note of great thanks to the generosity of uh, CG, which provided the transportation for many of our Canadian participants. And I would also like to uh, thank the Pacific Northwest Economic Region Foundation for their uh, generous uh, contribution to this conference uh, as well. So again, what a rich day of discussion we had ahead, uh, have ahead of us. We're going to hear from senior Canadian and American government officials on, the, on the, the policy vision for the Arctic Council chairmanships, and then we'll bring both Canadian and American experts together to debate uh, those, those agendas, those ideas, and to discover what more we need to do to strengthen the Arctic Council. And as I mentioned, we're going to hear some extremely vital voices from the Canadian and American North. We're delighted to have the Canadian premiers from Nunavut and the Northwest Territories with us, as well as the Minister of Environment and Economic Development from the Yukon. We have the chair of the Inuit uh, Circumpolar Council with us today, uh, policy advisor from the Alaskan Athabaskan Council. We have rich, rich indigenous voices with us today. And of course, we're delighted that Senator McGuire and Representative Heron from the state of Alaska could be with us us today. And of course, at the very end of this conversation, after the rich debate, we'll talk about the future of the Arctic Council. And again, only seven months preparing from the Canadian chairmanship to the American chairmanship. So again, we're extremely excited. Just a few housekeeping notes. We're not going to allow you to take a break today until we get to lunch because the discussion is going to be that interesting. However, uh, please feel free to refresh your coffee, get up, stretch throughout the conversation. The doors are open in the back and uh, we're just going to keep this conversation rolling so we don't lose anything. But we promise to take a nice break at lunch and, and then come back for more conversation. So finally, I always have a funny saying. I always say it's a good day when we can talk about the Arctic. Well, today is going to be a great day because we have great people who are going to give us great insights and knowledge. So I thank, again, so many of my colleagues that have traveled far and wide to come and be with us and share their insights. And so I now pass the torch to my colleague, John Higginbottom, senior fellow at CG and Carleton University in Ottawa, who will say a few words and then introduce our first speaker, Vince Rigby. Welcome, everyone. Thank you so much. Thanks, John. Okay, thanks, Heather. Thank you, Heather. And I can't uh, say enough about uh, working with Heather and working in coming to this w wonderful facility uh, at CG. It's a great pleasure to be here. I had some of six best professional years of my life uh, working as the Minister of Political Transboundary at the Embassy in Washington. And I am a, a great fan of Canada-U.S. relations, which are 99% excellent at all times, at top, bottom, middle. And it's, uh, it's, we sometimes forget that for various reasons, both Canadians and Americans. But to talk jointly about the Arctic and approach to the Arctic, in this case, uh, the issue of the uh, transition of the leadership to, from Canada to the United States, I think is a great opportunity to to exchange views and strengthen cooperation on dealing with the new challenges that, that both countries face in the uh, North American Arctic. Uh, I'm, um, uh, I won't go on about the challenges we face up there. It's obvious the turnout today, I think, reflects the, 
deep interest of many different organizations and people in the changes and challenges that are appearing in the Arctic because of climate change, because of melting ice, because of increased uh, commercialization, because of increased pressure on stewardship. I think there's many perspectives there, but it's our responsibility jointly, I would say, as both countries as indivi and individuals to, to manage those pressures in a, a way that uh, integrates the different policy objectives as well as we can. So I'm going to, without further ado, I'm going to introduce my uh, colleague and friend, uh, Vince Rigby. Uh, he's uh, uh, he's uh, our chairman of uh, senior Arctic officials. Uh, he's had a long experience in foreign affairs, in our aid and development agency, in our defense department, and in our Privy Council office. And I'm sure he's going, is doing, and, ha and will do a, a, an exceptionally uh, good job in terms of uh, chairing the uh, senior Arctic officials in the remaining few months of, of Canada's chair. A lot of work not yet completed in, in our chair, uh, but we look very much forward to carrying on some of the energy and some of the ideas that came out in our chairmanship onto the United States. So, and I have great confidence that the United States is going to play a, a, a very vigorous leadership role in the Arctic uh, through the Arctic Council. Yeah, Vince, please. Thank you very much, John. Thank you very much, Heather. Thank you to CSIS, not CSIS. That's the way we always make the distinction back in Ottawa. Uh, CG for organizing this conference today. And I have to say, it's, it's been a while since I've been uh, back to CSIS, I think about five, six years. Didn't realize you had a new facility, and it's, it's absolutely fabulous, I have to say. So please invite me back again soon, and I will, I will definitely come. But this this is something else. We don't see this in Ottawa very often, so uh, it's fantastic. Uh, the time for this conference is, is absolutely phenomenal as far as I'm concerned. I mean, Canada's about halfway through, a little bit more than halfway through of its chairmanship of the Arctic Council. So it's a, it's a wonderful opportunity for me on behalf of Minister Glukluk, who sends her uh, regrets for not being, not being here today, to give her maybe a bit of a, a status update on where we are with respect to our, our signature initiatives uh, in the Arctic Council that we're pursuing with the support, obviously, of other Arctic Council members, both member states and, and permanent participants, but also a chance to not just check out where we are, where we've been, but where we're going to go. And so this this uh, sort of, I would say, a sweet spot that you've hit here. So we have a chance to look forward, and uh, we have a chance to talk about the future of the Arctic Council and, uh, of course, the U.S.'s chairmanship coming up in 2015. So I'm really looking forward to today. I'm looking forward to to hearing the views um, of, of everybody, and uh, as I mentioned at the, at the reception at the Canadian Embassy last night, I'm still on a, on a bit of a learning curve, um, so this is a great opportunity for me as well to, to hear from people and to have conversations, not just in the room, but uh, over coffee, et cetera, so really looking forward to it. So let me just start off by saying something that I think for most of you will be pretty obvious. Global interest in the Arctic and its people, its environment, its prospects for economic development is currently unparalleled. Never in history has there been such widespread fascination with the region. And never in history has the region been experiencing such monumental change. This change is leading to new and to exciting opportunities, opportunities for growth and also opportunities for prosperity. It is also leading to a number of new challenges, be they social, environmental, or economic. 
The recent discovery in Canada's Nunavut territory of one of the ships that disappeared in 1846 during the Franklin expedition to chart the Northwest Passage is a reminder that after almost 170 years, some of the challenging environmental conditions faced by these early explorers are still faced by Arctic inhabitants today. But some of the stories of these early explorers also provide hope. Hope that we can rise to the occasion and tackle the specific challenges of this, the 21st century. Take Roald Amundsen, the Norwegian explorer. He traversed the Northwest Passage after a three-year voyage, voyage aboard the 45-ton fishing vessel, the Joe. En route, due to difficult conditions, he had to spend two winters in a small community in Nunavut, also known as Joe Haven. There, he gained valuable knowledge from the Inuit, who have lived in the area since time immemorial, on how to survive in the harsh Arctic environment. And with that help, he completed his mission, making it to the small community of Nome on Alaska's Pacific coast in 1906, and thereby becoming the first person to successfully cross the passage. Now, some of you may not know this, but Canada's Minister for the Arctic Council, the Honorable Leona Gluckluck, and the current chair, of course, of the, of the council, is from that very small community in the heart of Canada's Arctic where Amundsen wintered. And as I say, the minister unfortunately cannot be with us today, very, very busy schedule, but she does send her warm greetings, and I really am very pleased to speak on her behalf. I recently had the opportunity to travel to Nunavut myself for the first time for the founding meeting of the Arctic Economic Council in Iqaluit. I was struck by the rugged and the raw beauty of this part of the Arctic, a part of Canada where few Canadians will unfortunately ever visit because of its remoteness. My time in Iqaluit also made me aware of some of the special challenges faced by people who live in the Arctic today, ranging from technology, high cost of every, everyday goods, difficult social issues, or even reliable transportation. As many have said, the Arctic is a humbling and an intriguing place. Protecting its fragile environment is clearly critical, and so is protecting a sustainable way of life for the people who call the Arctic their home. The appointment of Minister Gluckluck as, as Canada's Minister for the Arctic Council, an Inuit, as I say, born and raised in Canada's north, underlines the importance that Prime Minister Stephen Harper of Canada and the government place on the unique knowledge and experience that the people of the north can bring to the Arctic dialogue. Just like Amundsen could not have completed his journey without the knowledge gained from his Inuit hosts, the Council cannot respond effectively to the change happening in the Arctic without the views of Northerners themselves. That is why the Minister, Minister Gluckluck, consulted broadly, both in Canada's North and with our Arctic Council partners in developing the priorities for Canada's chairmanship of the Arctic Council. And the message was abundantly clear. The well-being and prosperity of people living in the North must be at the forefront of the Arctic Council's priorities. And so, the theme during Canada's chairmanship is development for the people of the North, with a focus on responsible resource development, safe Arctic shipping, and sustainable circumpolar communities. Our priority initiatives are focusing on actions that make a difference to the more than 4 million inhabitants across the circumpolar North. Now, with 18 years under its belt, the Arctic Council has clearly established itself as the leading body for international cooperation on Arctic issues. Since its creation in 1996 with the signing of the Ottawa Declaration, the Council has successfully focused on critical pan-Arctic issues, in particular those relating to sustainable development and, of course, environmental protection. Just as Canada hosted the first ministerial meeting in Iqaluit in 1998, we will come full circle and host the ninth ministerial meeting at the same location next April 24th and April 25th. Holding the ministerial on Iqaluit in the heart of Canada's north symbolizes the importance Canada places on having these meetings in the Arctic. 
And to commemorate the location of the Council's creation, we will also be holding a series of panels, workshops, and other related events in Ottawa on April 23rd, where we will celebrate the accomplishments of the Council during Canada's second chairmanship. Now, in its early days, the Council was focused on scientific assessments, bringing together existing research and preparing assessment reports on key issues of relevance to the Arctic. Now, we see a Council that is clearly evolving. In addition to undertaking more forward-looking, longer-term assessments, it is increasingly becoming action-oriented and influencing policy development. Two legally binding agreements amongst the Arctic states, one on search and rescue in 2011 and another on oil spill preparedness and response in 2013, have now been negotiated under the auspices of the Council. At a little over a year and a half into the second round of chairmanships, the Council has truly, in our view, come into its own. It is showing that it can respond to the changing priorities in the Arctic and the evolving needs for its people, most important of all. We are looking to the future, but in doing so, we can't forget our past. For example, we must acknowledge that the Council's governance structure, which has been in place since its inception, contributes greatly to its success. The Indigenous permanent participant organizations sitting at the table with the eight Arctic states and playing a role in decision-making represent a unique feature of the Council that really struck me when I first came to the job. This is a feature Canada advocated for since before the Council was actually created. And as the Council grows and evolves, it is important that the voices of these organization, organizations remain strong. This is truly a priority for Canada, and we're spearheading, spearheading a few initiatives during our chairmanship to ensure this happens. For one, we're committed to exploring ways to enhance the capacity of the permanent participants to contribute fully to the work of the Council. And here, Canada's worked with the Arctic states and the permanent participant organizations to develop a number of options. We're hosting a workshop just prior to the next senior Arctic officials meeting in Yellowknife at the end of this month to figure out which options are feasible and how we can implement them. We're also working on ways to improve the incorporation of traditional and local knowledge into the work of the Council so that the critical insights of the people who have lived in the North for generations can be combined with what we have learned through our scientific research. The Council has definitely had some success in this regard. One good example is the Arctic Biodiversity Assessment. The scientific information in this landmark assessment, undertaken by the Conservation of Arctic Flora and Fauna Working Group, the CAF, was informed by traditional ecological knowledge at every step in its development. We'd like to make it more consistent right across the Council, and so we're developing recommendations to make this a reality. We've already had two foundational workshops to scope the issues, which were led by the permanent participants and the Indigenous People's Secretariat, and next we'll be turning our attention to the actual recommendations, which will be presented to the ministers uh, next April in Callaway. And finally, we're working with the permanent participant organizations and the other Arctic states to identify best practices in the promotion of the traditional ways of life of Arctic inhabitants. This includes everything from preserving languages, to conserving hunting and fishing grounds, to managing wildlife resources, such as polar bears, to celebrating different cultures and different values because non-Arctic inhabitants often have very little knowledge and understanding of these traditional ways of life, decisions and actions taken outside the region can have potentially significant negative impacts on Northerners, and we have to avoid that. To help ensure that the Council's work is relevant as an economic boom unfolds in the region, enhancing the Council's work on sustainable economic and social development has also been a priority during Canada's chairmanship. Take, for example, Canada's flagship initiative to create the Arctic Economic Council, or the AEC as it's known. I was very pleased to attend the AEC's founding meeting in Iqaluit in Nunavut earlier this month, which was hosted by, by the minister, Minister uh, Gluckluck. I was impressed with the strength 
and breadth of expertise that I saw in the room that, uh, during that meeting. And I'm confident that, this, that with this independent body of business leaders, we, they will work together to foster sustainable development, including economic growth, environmental protection, and social development in the Arctic. Now, speaking of social development, during Canada's chairmanship, we've also been working to enhance the ability of residents to deal with the many changes happening in the region by promoting mental wellness, which I have to say uh, for Minister Glukluck is, is a major, major priority. There are many approaches to promoting mental wellness across the Circumpolar North, some, quite honestly, more successful than others. Through the Mental Wellness Initiative, Arctic states and permanent participants are learning from one another to determine which approaches work best, and they are developing recommendations on how to transfer successful practices to other communities. A synthesis report is currently being developed to outline an inventory of promising interventions and key indicators to assess resilience and well-being programs, and all of the outcomes, outcomes will be presented at a symposium in Iqaluit in March. And we're very, very grateful for the support of the United States uh, in co-leading this, this project. This focus on economic and social development initiatives has supported the evolution of the Council. At the same time, we are very, very cognizant of the Council's roots, its history, its traditions. As such, we've also made it a priority to expand its important ongoing environmental work. It is clear, as everybody in this room knows, that the Arctic is facing rapid changes in its climate and physical environment with potential widespread effects for northern communities and for northern ecosystems. Short-lived climate pollutants, such as black carbon and methane, are contributing to warmer temperatures and can also have serious local health effects. Canada's chairmanship initiative to develop actions that Arctic and observer states alike can take to achieve greater black carbon and methane emissions reductions is aimed at tackling this key issue. As well, our priority initiative to develop an innovative online climate change adaptation portal, again, we're very pleased that, this, that the, the United States is leading or co-leading on this initiative. This is also an important element of continuing the Council's climate change work. This portal will facilitate access to relevant adaptation resources so that Northerners, researchers, and decision makers can share experiences, lessons, and best practices. Equally important during Canada's chairmanship is furthering the Council's work to protect the Arctic marine environment. Here, we are developing an action plan on oil pollution prevention, as well as guidelines for sustainable tourism and cruise ship operations, another U.S. co-led project. And I, I mentioned, again, the United States leadership here, just to, just to emphasize the close relationship that Canada and the U.S. have going, going forward. I talked a little bit about this at the embassy last night. As the breadth of issues affecting the Arctic expands, it becomes more important for the Council to assess where it can make a real contribution and encourage concrete results-based actions that make a difference, truly make a difference for the people that are living in the North. To do that, the Council needs to be strong, it needs to be effective, it needs to be relevant. That is why Canada is also prior prioritizing initiatives that help strengthen the Council's capacity and capability, from its communications to its administration, from its document archiving to its tracking of activities, from its engagement of youth to its collaboration with multilateral institutions. With a little under seven months remaining in Canada's chairmanship, we are setting our sights on the Iqaluit Ministerial and looking forward to celebrating the Council's accomplishments during our tenure. There is still some work to do, a lot of work to do, but it is progressing, and I hope I've captured that today. And it's progressing well, thanks in large part to the support and the cooperation of our Arctic Council partners. And again, we're particularly grateful for the active role that the United States is taking during our chairmanship and its continued support for our priorities. The U.S. has always been Canada's most important Arctic partner. 
And uh, I've got a little bit of history here working at the Department of National Defense for 15 years. I spent a lot of time working on NORAD activities and what have you. So I'm well aware of the, of the deep, deep tradition of cooperation that the two countries share in the Arctic. We share many of the same challenges and opportunities in the North and collaborate in a wide variety of areas, including science and technology, Aboriginal affairs, infrastructure, development, defense, as I just indicated, and of course, search and rescue. Northerners in Canada and Alaska also share many similarities despite the border that separates our two countries. And these are not just limited to sharing a similar, often harsh climate. Northern Canadians and Alaskans have strong historical connections and strong economic relations. And our people find creative ways to tackle social and environmental challenges and to adapt to rapid and often profound change. There can be no doubt that the people of Alaska, as the U.S.'s only Arctic residents, have an important role to play in the development and implementation of the U.S. Arctic Council chairmanship agenda. I was very fortunate to meet with Admiral Papp yesterday to discuss our views on the future of the Arctic and our respective ambitions for the Council, and I'm really encouraged by the progress being made by the U.S. in developing its priorities and the consultations that are taking place in that regard, and I know Admiral uh, Papp is going to give us uh, a little bit more later in the morning. Canada is truly looking forward to maintaining our close relationship and cooperation as the U.S. prepares to take over the reins in 2015 and undertake its second Arctic Council chairmanship program. And as I said last night, and it's an important point, our back-to-back -back chairmanships provide a tremendous opportunity to work together to advance our shared priorities, almost North American priorities for the Arctic region, and to ensure that the Council continues to address issues that matter most to those who live in the North. So let me sum up. Let's take hold of those opportunities, and by doing so, we'll continue to evolve as an organization. And let's remember that each Arctic state is a steward of the Council during its two-year chairmanship, but the work that needs to be done does not stop after two years. To make a real difference, a much longer-term view is needed. Cooperation amongst all Arctic partners is essential. And one of the things that I've learned while on the job, that the, the continuity of the initiatives of the task forces and the work groups is absolutely critical as the Arctic Council moves into the future. And so as we carry on with the work, let's also not forget the importance of the land, the water, the ecosystems, the, their importance to the Arctic people who depend on the environment for their livelihoods. And finally, let's not forget the importance of the human dimension, of the hope that each Arctic inhabitant has for the future health and the future prosperity of the region. We all share that hope, and through effective work at the Arctic Council, we truly believe that we can make that hope a reality. Thank you very much again. I really look forward to the, the rest of the day's proceedings. Thank you. I like that last part. Short questions, short answers. Sure. Anybody? I've stunned you into silence with my brilliant remarks, clearly. Did you have a question? Okay. Hi, I'm Nina with the German Marshall Fund. Yes. And I have a question regarding, like, you were talking about the local people in the Arctic. And I guess you, there are many initiatives. You have them representing on the Arctic Council, giving them a voice. But I'm wondering what possible conflicts do you think could arise within the local community or any um, maybe doubts they could have about any actions that are taken, for example, maybe the exploration, uh, exploitation of natural resources on their territory? 
did you say possible conflicts? Yeah, possible conflicts or even just doubts or things that whether it's the local communities or maybe the indigenous people that they may have. I think all I can say to that is, is again, um, I think one of the hallmarks of Canada's chairmanship of the Arctic Council has been, has been open communication and reaching out directly to um, northerners, to inhabitants. Um, we're well aware that there are a lot of sensitive issues with respect to um, natural resource development and a whole range of issues. We could, uh, we could spend the whole day talking about what those are. But um, I think, in, in particular, having Minister Gluklik there as a northerner who's reached out early on in developing the priorities for the chairmanship, but throughout uh, the last 18 months, uh, all of us, both the minister and uh, senior officials, going to the north, talking, and um, communicating what our priorities are and how we want to move forward. But I think most importantly of all, listening listening a lot to what people have to say. Um, that's the way you work through those issues. Um, so, uh, I mean, again, you know, we, could, we could get into concrete examples and where some of those sensitive issues are and, 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 and the back and forth, but, but I think at the, at, the, at the end of the day, and I think that's one of the themes of my, my remarks, if not the key theme, um, is that the, the Arctic Council priorities under our chairmanship have been about, about Northerners, about, about reaching out, um, about speaking to them directly. And, and really, it's about, um, under Minister Gluckler's leadership, I think, establishing a dialogue and a really concrete dialogue. And so um, that, that, I think, has been, has been um, I think it's going to be one of the, quite frankly, one of the, the, the significant takeaways from the, from the Canadian chairmanship that, uh, that we've done it this way. And again, we've been very, very privileged to have a, to have a minister, to have a, a chair of the Arctic Council who comes from the region, so understands these issues. And, and I can tell you, having spoken many times with Minister Gluckleck, she is sensitive to all of these issues, and she knows them inside out, and she has the northerners' interests um, at heart, and they, they come first and foremost for her. They really do, and that reflects well, I think, on, on the Canadian government and on officials as well in moving forward. Mr. Byers, here. Um, well, thank you very much um, for being here and uh, explaining the, the Canadian uh, accomplishments so far. There are a lot of people in the room who will be wondering about uh, Russia's ongoing involvement in the Arctic Council. Um, and it certainly strikes me that uh, maintaining the engagement with Russia in the Arctic Council is an important way of um, continuing to, to communicate with that country, um, despite the, the very uh, serious um, actions of the Putin regime in, in Ukraine. Um, and, and as part of that ongoing engagement, it strikes me as crucial that the Russian foreign minister be at the ministerial in Iqaluit. Um, is it Canada's intention to uh, welcome him uh, to that meeting? Thank you. Uh, the time that I've been on the job as chair of the senior Arctic officials, um, I think that we've, we've managed, we collectively, the Arctic Council has managed to almost uh, put a bit of a fence around the Arctic uh, as a region and the Arctic Council specifically as, a, as, a, as an entity. And... Um, isolated somewhat from what's happening in Europe right now with respect to, to, uh, to, to Ukraine and Russia and Russia's actions in, in, in Ukraine. And we've been very fortunate in that regard. That apart from a couple of little stumbling blocks, um, uh, the cooperation 
between um, Arctic Council states, including Russia, has continued to operate, I think, at a very, very high level. It is certainly our hope that we can continue that over the coming, over the coming months. We're obviously at the mercy, to a certain extent, of external events and what continues to happen in, in Russia. I, I don't have a crystal ball. Uh, some of us in the room will be um, glass-half-full types and others will be glass-half-empty. Uh, if the situation deteriorates, then we will clearly have an issue and we'll have to address that. If the, continue, if the situation stabilizes, uh, then I think we'll be, we'll, we'll be fine. But I, I can tell you this much, that uh, certainly in, in, in dealing with my uh, Russian uh, counterpart up to this point, I've, I've received nothing but positive messages with respect to Russia's commitment to, to making this work, to making the Arctic Council work under Canada's chairmanship. Uh, we're certainly um, supportive of, of Russia's continued engagement in the Arctic Council, and we're going to try and make this work. Over the, over the coming months. But beyond that, um, I, can't, uh, I can't predict at this point. But certainly, yes, the plan right now is to, is to, is to hopefully have a, an Arctic uh, Council ministerial in a Callowit next, next spring that's going to be uh, fully representative. I think probably we've got to wind it up at that point to speak to our state. Happy to talk to people on Thank the margins through the course of the day. Thank you, John. Thank you very much. You absolutely have the invitation right now uh, to come back to CSIS. We always do a road to new corona, and I know we'll have an event that will talk about the, uh, the road to Kuliat, so we are, we are very excited. I'd like to welcome our first panel to please come up. We're going to put your name tense up, and uh, if you have to, this is a great moment to get a quick cup of coffee and switch because we're going to begin with the next panel. So thank you, panelists. Please come on up.